Oh, good morning, everyone. It is so good to be here. Like Pastor said, my name is Kenzie Birkin, and I've been a missionary in Africa for the past six years. But I consider myself a daughter of the house because actually I grew up right down the road here um, on the Palmer Wasilla Highway. Um, I grew up in Palmer, Alaska. I was called into missions in Anchorage. And so I am just a little Alaskan who finds himself profusely sweating in the islands of Africa, okay? <laughs> um, well, let me give you a little background. For my first three years, I worked on a little island off the coast of East Africa. Um, and I worked with a Muslim people group that was 100% Muslim. It was illegal to be a missionary. And I went in as an English teacher. Um, and just saw God do incredible things uh, uh, amongst the Muslims there. And then God called me to the opposite side of the continent where I've been working off the coast of Equatorial Guinea. Now, Equatorial Guinea is a very interesting country, okay? It is off the coast of Cameroon, but we're actually five islands in the mainland. And we're the only country in Africa that speaks Spanish, okay? Gloria a Dios. <laughs> we have an interesting culture of, of Spain and Africa and animism and um, Islam and Catholicism, but it's home. It's a beautiful place that I call home. And one thing I love about being home is the shopping. Okay, I'm not talking about going down to Freddy's or going to Costco. Although literally when I am in Africa, I have dreams of shopping at Costco, okay? But this is the African markets. Now maybe you've seen in the movies, but let me just give you a heads up. So imagine the sun is beaming down on you. There's, hu there's heat and there's humidity and, and you're sweating profusely. Now growing up in Alaska, I didn't know what that meant. You can sweat from places you didn't even imagine, okay? So you're sweating from your elbows, from your knees, everything. And people are pushing and they're crowding everywhere. And, and there's these racks of dead meat and dead animals hanging. And there's flies and the smell. Whew. Just imagine with me the smell of cows and monkeys and snakes and rotting in the African sun, okay? And, and there's these mountains of papayas. And then there's these people yelling at me, Mira aquí, Blanquita, look here, little white girl, look, 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 okay? And then on the other side of that are the used clothes. Now, this is what gets really fun. They bring in these, these big bags from who knows where. Literally, it's a guessing game. I don't know where they bring these bags in. I don't know if it was like Goodwill clothes that never sold or like they sent for aid. I'm not sure. But anyway, they show up on the islands of Africa. And they get on the dirt floor, and that means you get on the dirt floor and you start looking through the sacks, okay? And there's some treasures in those sacks. Let me tell you. Now, I have found Nike pants for a dollar. I have found Lulu tank tops for $2. I have found a North Face jacket, okay, for $2. Because who in Africa is going to buy a North Face jacket? It's not necessary. I don't know, but sometimes... You're working hard, and you find the treasure, and you say, how much is this? And every once in a while, the person standing there will tell you, I don't know. And for how much sweat you have invested in the process of looking for that treasure, you ask again, how much does this cost? 
And with optimism in your eyes, the person says, I don't know, you can't buy it. And it's so frustrating because you realize that, that person isn't the seller. That person is the guardian. And, and they don't have the power to sell what doesn't belong to them. And that reminds me of a story in the Bible of someone else desiring to buy something that was never for sale. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 8. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8 this morning. Let me give you some of the historical context of Acts chapter 8. The early church is expanding. They're getting filled with the Holy Spirit, and persecution in Jerusalem is forcing the apostles to scatter. Well, this was actually positive because now the gospel is going to new areas and to new peoples. And healings are happening, and people are getting saved, and evil spirits are getting released, and God is on the move. And that's where we find ourselves today. We're going to meet someone named Simon the Sorcerer. So Acts chapter 8, 9 through 20. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and had amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. Verse 10, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. Verse 11, they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given on at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And he said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Hmm. Just like the secondhand clothing treasures in the African market, there's just some things that can't be bought. When the sending church heard of what God was doing in Samaria, they sent laborers. They sent Peter and John. And let me tell you, when God's on the move, laborers are always needed, okay? They, they send Peter and John. And let me tell you, when God's moving in Africa, more laborers are needed. That's another sermon for another time. But if you're interested, we can talk afterwards. <laughs> now, when Simon saw that the true power of God was being administered, he, he pulled out his little leather satchel like, like it was a a sale on Black Friday, okay? And let me tell you, our culture today is constantly trying to sell us things. Constantly. I've noticed since coming back to America that everyone is walking around with these new water bottles. Do you know what I'm talking about? These big, in did anyone bring theirs today? Okay, Gloria Dios, we have one here. 
Okay, when I left three years ago, these were not a thing, okay? At one time, it was Yeti, it was Hydroflax, but now we got these big old Stanleys, okay? Now, these also are so big, you can use them on your hiking trips as like self-defense mechanisms. Like, don't eat, forget the bear spray, you just use those, they are so big. But really, what makes these $40 cups so special? I mean, it's nice to have drinks that stay cold. I love the straw feature, let's be honest. That is so nice, okay? Um, but I also think these brands are selling us more of an acceptance and a belonging when everyone has them, right? We're constantly being inundated with things to buy. If you don't believe me, just go on Facebook. Facebook is always trying to sell the easiest way to lose weight. Buy this tea. Buy this new pill. You don't even have to exercise, okay? Or, or the TV commercials. My mom said the very first song I ever sang was, What's on your list today? You'll find it at... Okay, now you know I really grew up in Alaska, okay? But even in our media and our movies, like political agendas are being sold. We're constantly being bombarded with things to buy if you have the right amount of dinero, if you have the right amount of money. But church, the gifts of God cannot be bought. The gifts of God cannot be bought. And you know what? They're so much better than anything that the world could even try to sell us. The power of the Holy Spirit to fill your life, that's a gift. And it's accessible to me and to you and to anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you now. That's accessible to you. The power to witness boldly. You know what? None of that can be bought. Not even the greatest gift of salvation can be bought. In fact, there's nothing that you can do to buy eternal life. Nothing. Forget your money. Your good deeds won't even buy salvation. But the gift of having a relationship with God, of receiving the benefits of adoption into the family of God, oh, the benefits of receiving his peace, his joy, his love, his hope, to, to live life as an overcomer, such great gifts cannot be bought. Because the key word here is gift. They're gifts because of the giver, the generous, merciful giver that is our God. The same use of this word gift in this passage is also found in John chapter 4 with the story of the woman at the well. We know the story. Jesus purposely he traveled in her direction, out of the way, to speak with her with such gentleness and with such intentionality and with such love. Jesus said, if you had just known the gift of God and who it is who said to you, give me some water to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This encounter with a woman who was pushed aside, who was shamed by society. You know what? She did receive the gift that day. And what did she do? She ran back to her village and she told them all about the giver. That is our God. It's our God who gives generously to those who ask with a pure heart. When Simon the sorcerer pulled out his money and asked for, for the gift, Peter replies pretty strong. 
I mean, we read here, Peter's like, forget you, forget your money. May it perish with you. You have no part or share in this ministry. Verse 20, it says, 21, it says, because your heart is not right before God. Verse 22, repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord and hope that he might forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. Verse 23, for I see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. That is strong. Can you imagine if Pastor John came up to you and said that to you in front of the church? Ouch. <laughs> I, I like how the Spanish version says, verse 23, it says, In prisión de maldad veo que estás. In a prison of evil, I see that you're at. And this other part, full of bitterness, some versions call it a gal of bitterness. That's actually a Greek idiom. And it, it's used to being describing someone being envious or resentful of someone. But, but in this case, Simon was jealous of the apostles' power. But Simon had much to learn about the incredible gift of grace. Listen, Gateway, the gifts of God can't be bought. But what's the motivation of your heart today? You can receive the gifts from a generous God, but he's always going to look at your heart. Now let's keep looking. There's always so much more. I love God's word. There's more and more and more in depth to impact. So, so who, who was this dude named Simon the sorcerer? Well, we read that he was pretty popular. People were amazed at his ability. But we see a stark difference between him and Philip, between the true power of God and the counterfeit power. Now, notice Simon he showed up and he claimed to be someone esteemed. Simon bragged about himself and he gladly accepted the name great. Simon claimed to have this power of God, but he only glorified himself. Now Philip, Philip came in power also. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that, si that Philip came to obtain a name or a title or a reputation for what he was doing or his ministry. He just came with words and deeds, and he just preached the gospel. And who was glorified? Was it Philip? No, it was Jesus. The people of Samaria were amazed at what Simon could do. But when they experienced the true power of God, even Simon the sorcerer took note. The one who was once the source of amazement is now the one being amazed by the power of God. Church, we're living in a time of great confusion, but the true power of God is always greater, and it's always going to glorify Jesus. And when you've experienced the power and the presence of the one true living God, there's no confusion. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the God of power, of truth, of joy, of love, of peace. No counterfeit can come close to the true power of our God. The world's going to try to convince you of the power of lesser gods, of quick solutions when you're tired of waiting on God for a breakthrough. But remember, church, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers and the darkness of the world. But Gateway, we're not a powerless church. We have the Holy Spirit. 
We have the power that raised Christ from the dead living in us. And it's time to rise up in the authority of Jesus and begin to pray and worship in a way that reminds us that it's our God who is mighty to save. It's only our God who is the only truth in the life and the way. It's our God who defeated death, hell, and the grave. And we need a shift in our heart that says, Jesus, in this situation that I am walking through, would you bring the breakthrough? But God, would you bring the breakthrough so that you alone are glorified? The glory isn't for us. We're not here to build a name for ourselves. We're here to bring God glory. And God is the only one who is worthy of the glory. The true power of God is always greater. And it's always going to glorify Jesus. Now on the islands where I live, we have a lot of animism. We got a lot of spiritism. We have witchcraft. We got all this Simon the Sorcerer type stuff, okay? And one might assume that since I live on an island surrounded by the Atlantic Ocean, that islanders know how to swim right? That seems likely, probable. They literally are surrounded by an ocean. But really, the vast majority of islanders who, again, live on an island surrounded by the ocean, they don't know how to swim. It's because they live in great fear of the ocean, because they believe demons live in the waves. Now, one time I, I was in the ocean, standing about waist deep um, with one of my local friends. And there was a group, and they were in a circle, and they were splashing in waves all around. They're standing in a circle. And water's going everywhere, and they're splash, splash, splash. And my friend comes up. She said, Kenzie, do you hear that? And I said, what? She goes, do you hear that? And I'm thinking, what am I listening to? I'm not sure. And then another person from another tribe ran up to this circle and said, stop that. Stop it right now. Stop. They're going to come. The demons are coming. Stop, stop, stop. You're bothering them. And I thought, why is the only person being bothered is me right now. This salt water getting in my eyes and splashing. But, but honestly, the vast majority of islanders live in fear of the ocean. So this group thought they were playing music, and this other group was so bothered with the conviction that something was coming to overtake them. And unfortunately, even some of our Christians that we have there are scared to death of the ocean. And that's what we call syncretism, where they've grabbed onto the old and they've grabbed onto the new and they're trying to walk together. But that's not how Jesus has called us to live. He's not called us to be slaves of fear. We just read that the people of Samaria were amazed at what Simon could do. And they actually believed that Simon's power was of God. But it's important to see here that they thought this because the truth about Jesus, true, proper theological teaching, had not yet arrived to the Samarians. Which means they couldn't discern what was of God and what was of the devil. That was until Philip showed up and taught the difference. Now, I'm thankful that in Equatorial Guinea, we do have a small network of churches. We have a few pastors who love Jesus, who are committed to his cause. We have wonderful leaders who I get to work alongside of. But you know what keeps me up at night? It's the false doctrines that are weaving their way across Africa. On the island, I, I work with Muslim people. 
as that was much of my experience. But I also work in the area of theological training. And, and we have a vision. Our main vision is to see a healthy church within walking distance of every African. But without a church that has had proper training of truth, we might see a church, but we're not going to see a healthy church. Now, right before I arrived to the island, we had a church that gathered on our Bible school campus. Okay, another assumption for you. One might assume that since it's a church on a Bible school campus, they would have some good theology, right? <laughs> well, one day the pastor decided that he was going to set um, little plastic water bottles on the stage. I'm not talking Stanley-sized water bottles. I'm just talking the small ones, okay? And he set them on the stage. And he told his congregation, he said, hey, today is a day of, of blessing. If you want your blessing, you need to come up here and, and have a drink. Then afterwards, you need to financially sow into the ministry. Yikes. Well, when you do that in an impoverished nation, that's pretty attractive to a lot of people. So they came up and they started drinking. And shortly after, when word spread, someone confronted him, another person in leadership, hey, hey, you can't do this. They told him, you can't do this. This is not in the Bible. You can't be teaching this. This is not correct theology. You cannot do this. And so you know what that pastor did? The next Sunday, he told them all, hey, I'm starting my own church. We're going over there. But at that church is the double portion. It's the double blessings over there. We're taking our water, and anyone who will come, come with me and receive the double portion. And the vast majority of his church went with him with the false premise that they were going to have the double portion. And, and only a small remnant left remained at that church. And that is the small remnant that part of my ministry is I taught there twice a month. And let me tell you, for such a small group, there was such a sovereign spirit of joy over them. I, I, I can't describe the joy in the midst of, of the pain and the confusion that God brought them through. I imagine they felt betrayed. This pastor who was supposed to represent the Lord, who was supposed to teach them, who was supposed to love them, he was manipulating them. He wasn't teaching the truth. That's not of the Lord. And, and, and the people, they were confused, but they stayed. The remnant stayed. Proper theological training was and is necessary for them. But it's the power of God that's always greater than the lies of the enemy. And that remnant understood the difference. They understood the difference. And if there's them on the left. And on the right, this is them getting their own church. A tabernacle is going up. Um, and it's just so cool to see God do it. He's taking that pain and he's causing something new. And I'm telling you, the most sovereign joy over there, there I am by the tabernacle. In Bible school, they don't teach you how to lift tabernacles, okay? But as a missionary, you just do it all. <laughs> anyway, I'm telling you, I want to encourage you that the power of God is strong enough to transform any circumstance you're facing. I don't know what you've walked through. I don't know if you've come from a, a broken church situation. But God is a God of clarity. A God who is not fond of confusion. God is not a God of manipulation. 
He is a good father who loves his people, who is a good shepherd. He's not a God who purposely tries to do those. That's not him. That's not his heart. That's not his intention. He's a God who takes broken situations and he causes joy to flourish. That's our God. That's what he does. Our God's greater, and he can turn any of your situations into situations that bring him glory. And he's doing it. He's doing it in the islands of Africa, and I have faith to believe that he can do it here in Palmer. Do you believe that? That's what he does. That's what he does. So finally, how does the story of Simon the sorcerer end? Acts chapter 8, 24. Simon answered, oh, after the strong rebuke, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Verse 25. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. The end. That's it. Literally, we never hear the rest of the story of Simon. Did he repent? Did he continue following Jesus? Did he go back to glorifying himself? The Bible doesn't tell us. Simon, some sources believe that he possibly became the founder of the heretical teaching of Gnosticism. Others think that maybe he went to Rome and he became associated with a pagan woman. But regardless of what happened to Simon the sorcerer, that in the midst of his bad theology and his misguided heart, I know that God still has power to save and redeem. I, I, I don't know why all the scholars on this passage, they assumed the worst about Simon. The verses that followed, they said, well, Simon... He, he asked that, but then the, the apostles just kept on doing their usual thing. They just kept on preaching the gospel. They just kept sharing the word. But Simon, what happened to Simon? Could he have repented? I don't know if he did, but I think it's possible. I think it's possible because I know of the gracious God that Simon once put his faith in. I think it's possible. The island where I serve in Africa and the islands nearby, they're full of this type of animism and witchcraft. In fact, in the, in the southern part of our island, literally the village elders stand at the entrance and say, don't even come near. Don't even enter in the village. We don't want a church. We don't even want a Christian. Don't, don't even walk near us because they're holding so closely to their spirits. We have another island that I would love to be part of sending a team to one day called Anabon. And it's one of our islands, but it's closer to Angola. And literally on this island, there, there, there's been people who have gotten saved. They've left that island. None of them even want to go back to the island because of the stronghold. They say that um, rocks even speak there. Geologists have gone there to study. And the rocks have been speaking as in demon-possessed and those geologists left in great fear. I would love to be part of sending a team there one day, training up, training up locals that we would go together to it. But this story of Simon, it reminds me of one of, our, one of our pastors that we have in Equatorial Guinea. 
Now, this is Pastora Lucia. That's her. This lady, she is 62 years old, and she is one tough cookie. Let me tell you, she has been a pastor for the last eight years with us. And, and she grew up in a family that practiced witchcraft. In fact, there's often a generational passing on of grandmothers to mothers to daughters. Of They have special charms that they pass on and things in the houses. And um, it's a whole family business, essentially. But she knew that she was demon-possessed. She knew that they had the power to harm her. She knew that her whole family was involved. And so with great fear, which when you see power, there's often the element of fear, okay? And with great fear, she just wanted to appease her family. But one day, she, she liked singing. She loved singing. And one day, she heard music. And she started to follow the music. And down the road, she heard these loud songs. She heard clapping. And slowly, she just was curious. So she just kept walking. She kept following. And one day, she found, oh, it's a building. People are singing together. They're, they're singing about God. And she walked in, and she got radically saved. And she got set free from generations and generations and generations of witchcraft and demons because she encountered the one true living God, all because she heard a song. And that's what God does. He takes generations and generations of bondage, and he sets them free, and he liberates, and he removes the fear, and he brings freedom, and he brings wholeness, and that's what he does. That's what he did to her. And so with, with a new song in her heart, Pastora Lucia, she went to her family, and she told them. She told them, and, and, and her mother and her uncle, they were all listening. And that day, they rejected her. And they sent her away. Everyone except for her father. And for the first year, as she was learning how, how to be a Christian and what it meant to follow Jesus and what it meant to live without fear and things like this, she shared with her dad every day about who Jesus was. And then he got really sick. And three days before he died, he also accepted Jesus. God still has the power to save and redeem. That's what he does. So we're going to take a listen to Pastora Lucia. She's going to tell you about the church that God has called her to plant. At 62 years old, she always, pray for my back, pray for my knee. Because literally every weekend, she takes her grandkids, and she takes a machete, and she clears the land so that people in that village have a place to encounter God. Of all the acts of things to do in the world, I've never discovered anything better than to serve God and to be a servant of God. It's people like Pastora Lucia that give me hope for the future growing church in Equatorial Guinea. It reminds me that God still has the power to save and redeem Part of my ministry there and ministry in, in Africa in general is hospitality. And often I host groups of women in my house, and, and often it's the women in ministry there. And I look around and I just sit there, and, and I realize that these, these women that are serving the Lord now, they all have testimonies like Pastora Lucia, 
where God has literally taken them from generations and generations of bondage, and he has so set them free. Now they are the first generation of believers, and now he's using them to reach islands that have barely been touched with the gospel. I'm reminded that, you know what, it's, it's a great privilege to sweat next to them. It's a privilege to lift these heavy tabernacles, even though I don't really know what I'm doing with them. But it's a privilege to teach theology and discipleship. It's, it's, it's a privilege to share strategies of how we reach Muslim people. It's a privilege to pray together until we see breakthrough happen. It's a privilege to, to leave the comforts of America and to share deep life with people who Jesus really, truly loves. I'm also reminded of the absolute essential need of the Holy Spirit in my daily life. Whether I'm in Costco, hallelujah, or whether I'm walking down an island road filled with lava rock, I'm also aware of how much greater the power of God is than anything in this world and how worthy Jesus is to receive the glory. Church, would you stand with me this morning? Gateway, what would the valley look like if each of us walked in the power and the authority of our God? What would this church look like if each of us had a heart that was so focused on glorifying Jesus and not just making a name for ourselves? What would Gateway look like if we all operated in the Holy Spirit and instead of buying in the lies of culture, we invested our money in building the kingdom? What transformation would we see if we lived so missionally to believe that today it's our God that still saves and redeems, that he still has power to save and redeem your neighbors and your family and your coworkers or your classmates in the valley and every village off the coast of the Atlantic Ocean that bears the name Equatorial Guinea. Church, I believe that not only are we going to see transformation, but God desires that each one of us be participants, active participants in that transformation. That's his desire. He desires to use his people. What a privilege. Broken people that God desires to use here and now and across the globe. If you want to be part of that transformation of reaching this city, of reaching the islands, would you just lift your hand a little bit? I just want to pray for us this morning, if that's okay. Lord Jesus, I thank you. Lord Jesus, this morning we give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. Jesus, only you are worthy to receive the glory. So we give it to you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you. What an opportunity it is to come together and to worship in your name, Jesus. Lord, what a privilege we have to be connected with other believers here. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, for your incredible gift of grace that you have lavished upon us. Lord, we thank you for the gift of love, of, uh, of salvation, Jesus. We thank you that we, Lord, can walk in that freedom, Jesus. We thank you for your gifts, God. Purify our hearts, Lord, that we would be people who would receive your gifts with hearts that are pure before you, Jesus. 
Lord, I thank you, God, that your power is so much greater than any lies of the enemy, Lord. We pray, God, give us discernment to see the difference, God. In a time of confusion, God, would you bring us clarity to know the difference, Lord? Lord, I pray for anyone right now who's walking in a season of brokenness, of confusion, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would bring such a sovereign spirit of joy over them, God. Lord, I don't know what they're walking through, but you know, Jesus. So I ask just for a sovereign spirit of joy over them, God. Lord, would you touch them with joy, Lord? I pray even as they walk through this week, Lord, that there would be joy upon them, that there would be joy upon their household, Jesus. I pray that there would be joy in their coming and their going, Lord. I thank you, God, that you are a God of joy. I pray that you would bless them with that right now in the name of Jesus. And, Lord, I thank you that you still have power to save and redeem. Lord, I thank you that that's still what you do, God. It's not something you used to do, but, God, it's something you're still doing. So, Lord, I do pray for salvation and redemption to come to the valley. Lord, I pray for an awakening of hearts to recognize that, Jesus, you alone are God, and apart from you there is no other. Lord, I pray for an awakening to this valley to come. Lord, we pray that you would bless this church house with just, just a, a salvation house, Lord Jesus. Lord, I thank you, God, that there is, there is salvation available today. Lord, I pray, God, that you would use these people today as conduits of your love, as conduits of your spirit, as conduits of your redemption, Jesus, to share, even in this Christmas season, the greatest gift it's when you came, Jesus. It's when you died for us, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for the greatest gift of salvation, Lord. Would you use us, Lord, to share that message, God? And we do pray that you would bring redemption to the islands of Africa. God, we pray that you would push back against any force of the enemy that for generations have hold on. Lord, we pray that the power of Jesus would dispel any lies of the enemy. We pray that the power of Jesus would come and shine the glorious light of the gospel, Lord Jesus. I thank you that you are mighty to save. And we proclaim your salvation on the islands of Africa, God. We thank you. We proclaim your salvation in this valley. In the mighty name of Jesus, would you use this house, Lord, to be conduits of your glory, to be conduits of your spirit, to be conduits of your goodness and of your grace, Lord. We thank you. We thank you, Jesus. Receive all the glory today. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.